FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. I'm Nikki Seberini. This is the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. This is where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. And I tell you, it is hot in the city of Joburg. I'm loving it. I love this weather. Yes, we have to keep cool, drink lots of water, but it is absolutely glorious. And things also, of course, hotting up um, by the end of today. We'll know who our new Joburg mayor is. Really upset that uh, Herman Mashaba has left office. Um, personally, I think he was fantastic. Um, and let's see who replaces him. And let's hope he continues with the good work that uh, Mr. Mashaba started off with. So, wow, 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 we've got a great show lined up for you. I'll let you know in a minuet what is coming up. I do want to tell you that last week, if you remember, Dan Brule was in the studio and we were talking breath work and I was asking all questions about breath really on a physiological level helping, but on a spiritual, emotional level helping as well. Well, I went along to Dan's um, workshop last weekend and it was run by Breathwork Africa. Wow, we did this conscious, circular, conscious breathing, connected breathing. It was just really, really very interesting to see where you can go with your breath, what breath can do for you. Um, so I'm hoping that we can um, we can do a show um, when we talk about more about Breathwork, um, specifically to do with children. And to deal with anxiety, we have unprecedented um, uh, um, amount of children who are on medication for anxiety. Um, really, it's it's a it's a very worrying state of affairs when our kids are medicated because of extreme um, anxiety. So we're going to be looking at breath work and using breath work when dealing with anxiety with. Adults with the parents and with the children. So that's definitely coming up. Now, something to get excited about. We know that the Discovery 947 Joburg Cycle Race is behind us. And we know that the deal link forges ahead. And now it is the Jerusalem Marathon happening next March. But don't wake up too late because this team fills up very, very quickly. It really is a mind and life and body changing event if you decide to go with it. If it's something you've been playing with, toying with, just go for it, do it Go, train, join the team Have this extraordinary experience in Jerusalem So it really is a challenge of endurance um, But you're also doing it for a higher purpose Because you get to run with the name of a warrior on your back And the incredible spiritual, emotional connections that happen And it has been said that for every seven feet That a person walks in Israel That in itself is a mitzvah So with that in mind and together with this legacy um, that Devorelea left, Team D, I think, will be running through the beautiful streets of Jerusalem in the merit of every DL Link warrior to identify and celebrate survival, strength, and courage. So if you join the team, you just really incredible things are going to happen. You go along with them, uh, flights and accommodation arrangements you are responsible for, but they can help you with that absolutely. So don't hesitate. Go onto the website 
contact them, sign up for the deal for the Jerusalem Marathon. You're not going to regret it. It's just the most extraordinary thing. Coming up next year, March, the deal link, and that's in 2020. So we're going to take a break. After the break, um, it is Movember. We're hoping to speak to um, Garen Gazelle, who's a part of the Movember Foundation. We're hoping to speak to him. And then um, Stefan Brosen, or maybe even Stefan will be joining us before, um, Stephen Brosen is going to be sharing his story um, of losing his wife, his partner of 35 years, the mother of his four children, to a very aggressive brain tumor, and how he and his family very, very consciously worked through the process, found acceptance, found a way of, of thriving and surviving instead of being destroyed um, by this incredible loss and incredible challenge. So Stephen will be joining us, telling us about his new book called A Story of Presence. It really is going to be a brilliant show, not one you're going to want to miss. So stay with us. Hello FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. Uh, 40 minutes past 12 o'clock. You are tuned to 101.9 High FM. This is the DL Link Show. We reconnect you through insights, information, and illumination. And just before the break, um, I said that we'll be chatting to Garen Giselle. I'm hoping we're going to chat to him just now. And I'm so excited that Stephen Rosen walked into the studio earlier. And I said, Steph, are you flexible? And can you go on the show now? And he said, but of course. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, Stefan Brosen. Great to have you on the show. Uh, thank you, Nick. Thanks, good, good to be here. And um, yeah, special to uh, you know share my story with you guys. Well, you know what a story it is. And this is the Dealing Show. And we have cancer warriors who come onto the show who share their stories. We have family members who share their stories. And you've got wow, you've got a story that started when you were just seven years old, mm-hmm. and it played its way through your life, mm-hmm. um, and continues to do that. And I think there are many. Many people who are listening right now who are going to relate on so many levels. But what really is extraordinary is the the consciousness um, and the way you have dealt with all these challenges and hopefully going to be inspiring and showing others that it is possible. Mm, that yes. it is possible. Yeah. So, so Steph, let's let's go back in time because mm. I know you wrote a book years ago. Mm. I know that you've just recently written a book mm. about losing your wife. Mm. And I know that your kids helped you write this incredible book. Yes. Um, but let's go, let's go back to you as a young seven year old, because mm. that's where your story starts. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, this journey really, mm. when your father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Yes, that's right. Yes. What, did, what were you aware of? Well, I think, you know, at the age of, uh, I was four years old when he was initially diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, uh, as a little child, you, you're very unconscious, you're very unaware. Um, I think also, uh, life was very different then. You know, parents didn't really communicate that much to children. Mm. Therapy wasn't a big thing. And, um, it was almost like, you know, you woke up one day, um, uh, heard that my dad had a brain tumor. Uh, at the age of four And then he went in for an operation Unfortunately they couldn't cut out The whole tumour and he was partially Paralysed and it was Almost like you know the next week or two Your father came back and he wasn't The same type of person that You, know, you knew or had experienced 
And um, life became quite scary in a way because a father's a figure that sort of supports you, is your security, mm. uh, is your sort of life and your faith. And then all of a sudden you see that life actually is, is scary. And um, no one actually um, addressed those type of issues as a child. So what happened? So what were you told? You know, just that your dad is sick. And, um, you know, we, we're taking treatment and, um, you know, he's just not well, but hopefully he will be better. And that's how it was left mm. in a way. And, you know, at night we would like pray for him, but there was no real uh, sort of in-depth discussion of, uh, uh, you know, your father's not well, you're not responsible. Because as a little child, mm. you have all these these thoughts. And this is little me that comes through. Yeah. I, I only realized this over years of therapy that I took on a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. I felt that I was partially responsible for his death because as a little child, you know, you may have thoughts of, um, you know, you don't want your father around because he's too strict or something yeah, like this. Yeah. You or think something to you yourself is your so horrible. Yourself, uh, you know, uh, so just, Daddy, I wish you'd go away. Uh, and then all of a sudden you think, well, maybe you said that and now he is going sure. away. So what happened was I started this whole sort of, Mental noise going through my head mm. uh, of fear, anxiety, guilt. And three years later, he passed away. And that just highlighted all those type of issues and aggravated it. And um, I started feeling very, very insecure and fearful about life because a tumor, everything is a possible tumor. So as I got a little bit older and uh, for argument's sake, a, f- a friend or person said something nasty to me, this all of a sudden became a potential tumor and like, oh no, you know, he said something nasty. Uh, maybe he's not going to like me. Maybe nobody's going to be my friend. Mm. This means the whole world's going to like, mm. you, know, you know, be horrible and, you know, could be the end of, the, be world. The, end of the world. Again. Things could change and never yes. return to the way they were. Yeah. All of that, that way of processing. That type of processing. Wow. And as a teenager. So that's, and I felt that a lot as a teenager because it was always these thoughts in my head running around. I need to control everything Mm. Uh, If I don't control this Then there's going to be a tumor And if this person doesn't do this Then there's going to be a tumor Mm. So it was almost exhausting You know, Mm. all these thoughts in my head To try and prevent a tumor Mm, mm. Were you were you conscious that it was to prevent a tumor? Did you did the consciousness around that come from therapy, or were you? Would you say that at that stage it just felt like extreme anxiety? Just extreme anxiety. Okay. I never realized where I was. Where it was coming from. I was from. totally consumed with the little me. Okay. I didn't have that consciousness at that stage. I was just aware about controlling everything. There were mm. just thoughts in my head going on all the time. I need to do this. I need to make sure this person's happy. I need to do that. It was a constant story in my head, hmm. and I thought, "This is what life is. Yeah. This is what you this have is the to normal. do." This and, is and the this, normal, and this feeling is, mm. is normal. Mm. And, I, and I'm, we're going to take a break, but I think it's so important to emphasize it because I think there are many kids out there, there are mm. many teenagers mm. out there who are feeling this way, and this feels normal, mm. and this isn't normal. Mm. This is exactly. not normal, yeah. and you are not that way, that, ang- that anxious thinking. You are not that. You're just consumed by these anxious thoughts. Exactly. Yeah, it's very exactly important. Yeah. It's very exhausting, yeah, and it's very be. painful, mm. and I think it's, it's, it's very unfortunate because you do not need to live like that. Absolutely. And uh, as you say, that's most people today.
Well, we're going to continue with the story because, I mean, you've got four teenage kids who went through the loss, seeing their mother diagnosed with a brain tumor, an operation, you know, like the the repeat in your life, the treatment and then losing her and how different their experiences in comparison to yours. Yes. We'll take a break, Stephen, if you are back. Great. 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. I have Stephen Brosen in the studio. Um, he's just written a book called A Story of Presence. And, uh, he also wrote this book, Tree, um, a number of years ago. Um, Stephen is just sharing his story of as a young boy losing his father, um, to a, a brain tumor, um, wa- making his way through life and not understanding where the anxiety was coming from. So, so Stephen, this is where you are. Mm. You're trying to control your world. Mm. You are highly anxious. Mm. You don't know where it's coming from. Mm. You met Jody pretty young. Mm. You, I mean, mm. for 35 years yeah. you knew you. Yeah. How old were you when you I met Jody? I was 16 when I met Jody. So she you met Jody, okay, while mm. you were immersed mm. in this mm. very mm. self-conscious, mm. anxious kind of thinking. Mm. Was she aware of this world that you were in? I think, yeah, she was aware. I mean, I did used to think a lot, and she often used to say to me, you know what I mean, stop worrying, don't be anxious. But it was almost like the norm. You know, everybody, she or herself was also, you know, in an anxious space, also uh, consumed with worrying about this, worrying about that. Mm. It was almost like this is how you are. This is, you know, your sort of life, Mm. and this is how you, you know, you live. And um, I think we both sort of lived that for, for a while. And I think we probably all started to change. And, I mean, I probably read a thousand books on how to deal with fear and how to deal with anxiety. And um, uh, I, st- I was studying with uh, uh, Rabbi Howard Jackson for the, you know, I've been studying for 20 years on Imuna, faith, how to have faith in the universe and how to trust again and have that security but I think it already crystallized for me one day I was walking in exclusive and I saw a book a blue covered book and it was called The Power of Now Mm. by Eckhart Tolle Mm. and I just looked at this book and I saw this book and I thought the power of now like this moment I've never really been in this moment you know I'm always thinking about the next moment or the past moment. What about just this moment? So I bought this book and um, I read it. And I can tell you, it took me about a year because I almost read like a page and I underlined and I virtually underlined the whole book. And it was this whole sudden mm. consciousness that suddenly there was this moment, the present moment. And I hadn't been grasping this present moment. Sure. And I think that's when it all started to come. Now, it's not an intellectual thing, the present moment. It's almost something that, you know, you have to feel when you actually stop thinking and you just sort of be. And I think I realized that when, you know, my daughter. And the peace in that. Yes, the peace right, in Stephen, that. Yeah, when you yeah. are fully, when you drop into this moment, mm. for the, for, probably for the first time you were like, wow. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It was this, wow, life mm. can actually be okay. I yeah. actually feel Okay, mm. I actually feel good, and there's a beauty, 
and, and a, like a joy and just a sort of, just a contentment that mm. exists in the moment. And it just lasted for, you know, like a second or two. And then next thing that little me would come in in. and I need to do this and I need to do that. And this one said this. And then I um, said, but wow, I actually got a little taste of that. You know, I need to get back, back there. How do I get back there? And I started, you know, looking at different techniques and ways to get into present moment and, you know, focusing on your body where you are is, you know, is a fantastic tool. So when I was anxious, I would suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, just be conscious of my, in, you know, my breath, the in breath and an out breath and say, listen, just bring yourself back here, get out of those thoughts. Mm. Um, the space between objects now I started to look at, you know, it was a technique that, um, you know, started to help me. So from maybe starting to have a minute of presence a day, because from, from reading the book, slowly, slowly over years, it's developed to maybe an hour or two hours. I mean, still a large part of my day is consumed with anxiety and that little me that does take me over. Mm. But I do have that consciousness to bring myself back into that, into that moment. Carry on. So, so this is where I was, and Jody was part to that whole sort of journey with me. Was she on it? Was she? She did. Did it, it mean as much to her the present moment? Was she just happy that you it was she, helping? I you? think she was happy for me that yeah. she could see it was important for me to be grounded mm. and still, and that I needed it. Um, she saw, you know, it, it resonated with me. It was key. She didn't obviously have the same affinity to read those type of things but she was very much um, when I brought out that first book Tree which you know is a a synonym for trust in God rejoice in each moment and uh, have no ego have no ego because it's that ego that little me that takes you out of the moment she helped me put that book together so it was a journey together that we went on in in self explanatory and getting in touch with you know, the, your soul and not that little me and that ego that operates. Mm. So, wow, so a huge metamorphosis was taking place in your inner world mm. because life was continuing, but your mm. inner world was shifting and yes. changing in the way you were experiencing mm. it. Mm. And then four kids later, mm. um, and we know the stresses of having children mm. and the up late at night and the doing and the working and the stress of that. Were you integrating this present moment awareness mm. with the parenting? Were you mm. trying? Trying to introduce it to your kids, or did you think mm. oh, when they're a little older? Mm. I, yeah, very much trying to integrate it with them. Kids are very difficult because they, you know, they don't think you know what's going on. You know, they don't seem to realize that you've got a wisdom. So you have to do it in very sort of strange ways. Mm. You know, it would be like at the supper table. Yeah, I would say, listen. How, you know, how tasty is the meal that mommy's made, you mm. know? So just to bring you into the moment instead of being somewhere else. Mm. Um, I did used to meditate like at night when they're lying in bed and quite anxious about like an exam. I would say, listen, lie down, fill your head on the cushion, feel your body against, uh, the mattress, you know, feel the sheets over your body, you know, feel the, you know, the air against your skin. So I would use techniques. Uh, to, to, to bring them into the moment, but it wasn't a formal type of process. Mm, you had yeah. to do it like that. So 
I do feel, and then I think also the biggest thing that I did is that when I was with my kids, I tried to be as conscious and present as oh, possible. Wonderful. Because that's the best way to actually let someone else learn consciousness, mm. is when you yourself are present fully, with that person. Fully present, yeah. Yeah. So I made that effort. When they spoke to me, I was fully, fully there with them. Mm. Um, and it was hard because you would come back from work and there was stuff stressing you out and there times you weren't. But, there, but a conscious effort was made to hear them, see them, Touch them, feel mm. them Proper, proper Moment by moment, moment. Mm. So, so, so as I said So much shifting happening Your mm. children are there They're there to bring mm. things out Our relationships are there mm. to bring things out mm. Sometimes the wounds we think that we've healed Have just, you know It's a light little scab And mm. then one little thing And mm. the, the wound is back And that mm. seemed to happen to you, Stephen yes, Because yes. your greatest fear of this tumor The anxiety of controlling mm. your life Of mm. everything mm. Jody was diagnosed with a very aggressive mm. brain tumor. Mm, mm, yeah. What was that? Two years ago now? It was, yeah, it was, oh, it was two years ago. Two, years, two ago. years ago. Yeah, just over two years ago. It was September last, two years ago. So mm. you'd learned the, the beauty of the present moment, mm, mm. how you could drop into that moment, mm, mm. and now you had to face this challenge. Mm, mm. What, what, do you, can you identify what went through your mind? Did the, did yeah. the little you come in mm, screaming mm, totally, and kicking? Yeah, I think I, I was totally consumed. You know, everything had been a potential tumor from a, from a little yeah. kid. Every situation was a potential tumor, and I'd spent years in therapy, years in in practicing the power of now, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was it was actually it was Erev Rosh Hashanah, and Jody had been a little bit. Uh, forgetful, she was suffering from a few headaches um, We had sent her in for a few tests And uh, I remember it was afternoon before Rosh Hashanah starts And we um, uh, were in the hospital And I just wanted to get her home so we could go to first night Rosh Hashanah And um, the neurologist came in and said Listen, she wants to show me something on the scan um, and I remember walking down to her office and all of a sudden she showed me this image of this almost white ball sitting on the frontal lobe of Jody's head. Mm. And I tell you know when you feel sick, you know, it's just this, this little me, the sickness, this mm. nausea just mm. came over me. It, you, you, it was my biggest fear had come back. Mm. I'd spent years and years trying to deal with, you know, a tumor, a brain tumor. And here my wife, uh, who's given me four beautiful children, who's mothering four children, has got a brain tumor on her frontal lobe. So, and it was the night before Rosh Hashanah. So it was an absolute sort of, uh, almost of a cliff panic, you know. Yeah. I remember coming home that night and just lying in bed, almost shaking. Um, my son was uh, in matric. Uh, my daughter was uh, uh, at UCT. Uh, I had, uh, you know, two others uh, at Linksfield High School. And it was, how am I going to cope? How my, how's my son going to pass my trick? How's my youngest going to manage? Jody, who did all the, you know, the admin, um, all the like running of the house, the whole story. How am I going to do all of this? My life is, is over. Mm. It's, it, it almost felt like this is the end. You yeah. know, this is, uh, it's a nightmare and you've had a great life and we had a beautiful life, Jody and I. You know, we had been together for 35 years. We had traveled. Our kids had been with us. We, we had a fantastic relationship. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was now 
this is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's and so sudden, you know, it's not like something that was just, you know, that you can prepare for. It was yeah. just sort of this clap from behind mm-hmm. and you, you know, and now you, you, you free falling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think what happened to me is that for a week, um, I was in absolute panic, fear, couldn't sleep. Jody, we went in, we weren't sure the extent of tumor and what type of tumor it was. And um, I remember we managed to get it to Mill Park to Dr. Zario to do the actual um, operation and to, to get the tumor out. And um, I went there with my kids and we all at Mill Park. And I thought, look, you've got to lead by example here. You've got four children. Jody was amazingly accepting of the whole scenario. She showed no anxiety, no fear. She sort of like embraced it. It was almost, you know, I spoke earlier about the anxiety that we both had. Mm. She suddenly seemed to have lost this, you know, anxiety mm. once we discussed this. So we, we, I took my kids when we were at Mill Park, uh, while the operation was taking place. It was an eight hour operation. We went for a walk in the park and I said to my kids, uh, we're going to get through this. Um, you know, mommy's sick and whatever it is, it's either going to make us bitter or it's going to make us better. Hmm. We're going to choose to make us better. So we put our arms around each other. We hugged, we cried, and it was a conscious decision that this journey together with, with my wife and, uh, and their mom was going to be one of sort of of, of love, embracing, and and not fear and worry. So wow, I mean that is know, yeah, huge, yeah, huge, huge, huge. Yeah, yeah. When I'm sure they want to scream and shout mm, and say, mm, "Why has it happened?" And it's mm, not fair, and we yeah. don't want to. Lo- and and and. Mm. So what did you do with that? Because you consciously say, mm. "This isn't going to make us better. It's mm. going to make us better." You're not saying mm. to them. You're not giving them false hope. You're not no. making. But you're not doing any of those things. So when it when it did come up, Stefan, mm, mm, because you're now dealing with mm, your demons mm, as well, how did you deal with that? Well, I think the issue was that you're entitled to feel angry and you're entitled to feel sad, and that's good, and you must embrace those feelings. No one's saying just suppress that. Mm-hmm. So when you cry and cry, you know, when you're angry, be angry. But when you're with your mom or wherever you are, embrace that moment. This is what we've got. This is our journey. So, so when Jody came out... And um, she came home. It was a situation of let's just value the time we have with her. Unfortunately, she was diagnosed with a, a GBM tumor, which is an extremely aggressive stage four tumor. So we all knew subconsciously that that time was very limited. And it was in a strange way, Jody was actually teaching us presence because she was actually showing us that time is limited. So, you know, you go now and you make the most of it. Jody always used to have a thing that the kids never gave it, you know, uh, enough love. You know, mm. they were all too busy running, running around, around, too busy on uh, their cell phones, uh, always leaving the dinner table. Now this all changed. Mm. Now at the supper table, we'd sit there for an hour or two. We would like, Value that present moment time with her. Um, when she had to go to sort of, uh, you know, to, to, to the bedroom, the kids would walk with her and take her there. Mm-hmm. They would hold her. They would mm-hmm. love her. Mm-hmm. It was all of a sudden that we were grabbing, you know, grabbing these moments that we had. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where it was. Sure, there were times where, uh, you know, I, I remember I just, you know, just couldn't deal with it. And I remember, in the middle of the night, going to to old Ed's outdoor pool.
pool and just swimming lens in the middle of the night just to get this anger and frustration yeah. and fear. But we did make a conscious decision that most of the time or part of the time we needed to embrace what we had. That this is what we've given. This is what it is. And, um, an amazing thing, you know, one of the guys from hospice, to, as Jody got, you know, sicker and sicker, we had one of the guys who came over from hospice, and he was an amazing guy who actually said to my kid, and we all sat down, he said, a mother never gives a child anything that's not good for them. Uh, and your mm. mom has given you enough mothering, and thank God she had given them enough mothering, because she was an unbelievable, beautiful mother, and she had given them an enormous amount of mothering. But you're old enough now, but your mother's giving you another gift. She's giving you the gift of consciousness. You're not going to be other like other other kids. You're not going to worry about whether your cell phone is better than this person's cell phone. Your mom's giving you a consciousness, mm. an awareness of of, of life, mm. of appreciating what you have. Yeah. And that's the best gift a mother can actually mm. give. So she's giving you a gift. This whole story is actually a gift from her. And you need to see it like that. And that's, that was the sort of mantra that we sort of took with the whole process. Listen, we're going to grab what we have. And because she was so relaxed and so, uh, in touch with the moment, and, and content, who are we to be anxious and fearful? Mm. You know, she was the one with the tumor. She was the one who was dying, but she, she, she showed no fear. She was totally content with what she had there and then. What do you put that down to, Stefan? I think it's an awareness that individuals get that, that when they're going to die, they get more in touch with their souls and they know they're going to transition and move on. And a certain peace comes over them. And that they see that the people that they love mm. are accepting. They are in the moment. Mm. I think that if you weren't, I mm. think if your children were really finding it very, very mm. difficult to accept, if they were resisting, it may, could, do you think it could have made it that much more difficult? Do you think your acceptance, the conversation, that discussion mm. you had with your kids, do you mm. think that helped her? I think so. I think so, but I do think she took the lead. You know, she I did, think she yeah. took the lead. I think she set the example. Wow. She actually took the example. She was the one who actually showed us. You know, the amazing thing is I'd written this book on presence and, and how to be and uh and had done all the studying and all of a sudden she was the one who just lived it. Mm. You know, and she was the one who, who showed us, like, you know, she used to go brush her teeth and we all would come there and the kids would help her brush her teeth and help her to bed. And she used to say, like, you guys are giving me so much love. It's like almost like enough, <laughs> you know, but, but we, we, you know, yeah. we loved it. So she, 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 she set that tone, but I think coupled with the consciousness that we had, so we, that we needed to embrace what we, what was going on and to embrace the moment. It was a fantastic it was a whole partnership. Space. That was a whole yeah. space that had been created. Mm. Let's take a break, Stephen. After the break, let's talk about this extraordinary book um, that you've just released. Great. We'll be right back. Great. I am 101.9 megahertz of life. And if you've just tuned in, welcome, welcome. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini, and I have Stephen Brosen in the studio. Stephen who has been sharing his story, um, life story, really, Stephen, and very recently losing Jody to this 
this aggressive brain tumor, the very conscious decision you took, your children took, how Jody was. Um, you know, we can sit here and people can listen and go just, you know, it's so inspiring, so inspiring. How do they do it? How do we get there? How, how does one possibly accept something that one does not want to accept? It's mm-hmm. like, we don't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. How do we accept it? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and. So, did you, did you cover all of that in your book, You Are Here? I, I called it the story of presence, but it certainly mm-hmm. is not. You are here. Mm-hmm. Do, do you touch on that? Uh, you know, limitedly. I mean, I do get, I think it is a, it's something that doesn't just happen overnight to, to become conscious and present. It's a lifetime journey. I think it's ultimately your journey. Everybody's journey is to embrace the moment and, um, to, 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 to appreciate what you have and grab it. In my book, original book, Tree, that actually gives a lot of processes and actual techniques on how to actually get into the moment. But you are here is more the actual story of presence. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's more how the family, uh, all embrace the moment and by embracing the moment, how much joy and love and healing we had. So it's more an example that in the times of adversity, it doesn't necessarily need to be a nightmare. Obviously, there are times it feels like a nightmare, but there are times it can be very beautiful, very special, and very healing. And and that's what the sort of book really sort of highlights, of how uh, my kids and myself embraced those moments and actually made it very sort of special as opposed to just running away from it and you all wrote it together yes so we all wrote it this together this is a collaboration mm, the Brosen mm, family yes yeah wow. and I wow. think it's a wonderful thing it's What's, a gift you've, it's a gift mm, for Jodie right it's a gift for Jodie she taught us presence uh. she really crystallized it and put it together mm. it's a wonderful thing for my kids to have because it's something tangible that mm. you know that their mom gave them and I think it's uh, you know it's also a way to deal with other adversity that comes by so so, you know, we've all got adversity in our life and we all have issues. So hopefully my kids can take the story in this book and apply it to any other form of adversity that they have and, and, and be better and grow from it and become more conscious and better human beings. Mm. Mm. And, and those who read the book as well yes, will absolutely. be inspired to do the yeah. same. Seven, where can we get the book? Okay, you so, are here. Yeah. Where is it? Where? So yeah? it's you know it all happened a lot quicker than I sort of expected. So it's going into. So you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can download it on Kindle and Amazon right now. Hard copies will be in most of the bookstores next year. Okay. Uh, but it's going into Scoop, which is at Monte Casino, I yes. think next week. Um, but people can also message me, and I'm I'm getting quite a you know a large number of copies uh, tomorrow. So people can always get in touch with me and. And, uh, get a copy. Fantastic. And also, I'm sure people are going to want to read Tree, T-R-E-E. Seven, thanks so much. Thanks for great, coming on to great, the great, show, great, for you. sharing your story, yeah. for inspiring our listeners. Such an important story to hear. No. Um, you know, this this life of ours is very interesting. We, mm. we don't get to choose what we're given, but we certainly get to choose how we react Absolutely. and how we're going to be. So thanks for inspiring us. No, thank and you. so the, the T-R-E-E and you are here. Thanks, Stefan. Great.
Thanks, Nikki. Take Thanks care. For All the best. You Thank too, you so much. Thanks, Thank you. Well, okay, so you'll, you'll get your hands on that book. Um, so as Stephen says, the hard copy probably only in, um, bookstores from next year. But if you do go to Scoobs, which is in Monte Cassino, you'll, I think from tomorrow, he said there'll be copies there or you can download it. And very interesting. We talk about adversity and we talk about challenges. And, um, of course, we're just coming to the end of November, or shall I say, Movember. And our guest has just walked in with a rather marvelous looking Moustache, may I say. Garen Giselle or Gazelle? Giselle. Lovely, Giselle, lo- Giselle, lovely surname, Garen. Thank you. Very, very nice. Thank so you. this marvellous bit of hair on the top of your <laughs> upper lip, did you just grow that for November or is this you all the it time? Is, it is a month. It's almost a month old. It's almost um, a, wow. I know. It, it was a bit shy in the beginning because <laughs> I, I started the month with a hot towel shave and that, that normally restricts growth, but... Yeah, that's, you know, if, uh, I've got the philosophy and the belief if I'm going to farm moustaches for a month, I'm going to have to grow it and, you know, promote it. So generally I have about two or three moustaches during the, during the year. Depends if I get irritated with it or not. And I'm starting to note there's a lot more salt and pet coming through on it. So I've been limiting the no- number of times that I've been growing a moustache. These, 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 Looks these very moustaches. good. Looks Thank very, you. very good. So listen, what led you to Movember? Mm. What led you to the Movement, the foundation, this international foundation that was started years ago by these two guys? Was in New Zealand. It was in Australia, yeah. Australia. So, so two of the, uh, two of the founders. It's actually, uh, Travis's birthday. It was Travis's birthday yesterday. So it was, it was to mark Travis's birthday. Um, you know, him and Luke, who had gone to school together, they, they were talking about things that had made a return, um, on a Sunday after they'd gone skateboarding and, and talking about the type of, uh, fashion icons that had made a return and those that hadn't, and the moustache hadn't at that point. <laughs> and, uh, interestingly enough, you know, by, I think it was about 2007, I, I stumbled across this thing called November through a friend of mine who suggested that we do, do this thing for the month and, and, I remember the times when November wasn't as well known and going into rooms and telling people that I'm growing a moustache and it's a thing called November and, and it was, it was difficult because, you know, people didn't know what it was mm. and I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was, a, it was a great thing to do for 30 days with your mm. mates and, you know, we got together at the end and, and Matthew still put together a PowerPoint presentation of, of each of our, our month attempts of growing moustaches and, you know, and there were a couple of us that bowed out during the month because, we didn't really believe that this was a thing, and and it led me to to do some research and find out more. You know, I'd been involved in social upliftment projects through my company from paraffin safety and school feeding, and you know, this was something that inspired me. I realised that there was something there that you know I just wanted to get involved as as a volunteer to to uh, to think about and talk about what was then men's health issues, which, you know... Not always, or not always spoken about. And I think it's very important to talk about men's health issues. I mean, frightening just reading that the prostate cancer rate will double over the next 15 years. And that testicular cancer rates have already doubled in the last 50 years. And it also speaks to men and suicide, that one man dies by suicide every minute of every day, with males accounting for 60% of all suicides. We can't just talk about this in November. We have to talk about this... All Certainly. the time, you know, Certainly. men, you know, very often we're talking a lot of women's issues and I love it and don't get me wrong, but men's issues are very important. They have to be addressed. And that's the interesting thing when I started this journey in 2007, you know, we, we'd launched our first trial campaign in 2009 and, you know, at the time the, the, the founders had just relocated from Australia at the point Australia and New Zealand was running and, uh, JC had gone to, 
the UK to start uh, UK and Ireland and then eventually Europe and Adam who was the CEO up until about two years ago had gone to the States to start uh, America and Canada so at that point there was no interest in continuing and um, and interestingly enough in 2008 I got, I got a phone call back from the foundation to say the number of hits that that's, they've got on the website there was interest and we ran a soft trial campaign and it was you know without saying a word people came and signed up and raised money and that launched uh, the seventh country on the map out of 20 now, so Incredible. 21 countries now on board. 21 countries. And and you raised wh- how much? Uh, how much so have the, you raised so Over the far? past 10 years, we've probably raised about 30 million. 30 million. That's yeah. incredible. And that money goes into research. Where does that money so, go? So survivorship and research programs and also obviously very key to what we're doing in a preventative society is about awareness and education. So, you know, we, we know that our health system has got a lot of challenges and, you know, for, for men to get access to treatment is, is quite difficult. We're quite proud of being part of the task team that worked on developing the first ever prostate cancer guidelines, which is currently being gazetted and should be signed off. So that will ensure that men from all walks of life, whether it be access to private or pro- public health care, will have basic forms of treatment, screening, etc., etc. So, so, so Garen, are you saying that if, if anyone's listening now and they have prostate cancer, testicular cancer, even issues with depression, anxiety, can they contact the Movember Foundation? So the Men's Foundation. So that's the local foundation that's here. What's we, it called? The Men's Foundation. Men's South Foundation. Yeah, so we, we now license the Movember campaign. Uh-huh. Uh, work very closely with the organization in terms of the programs and how we run the campaign. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, we, so one of the things we're looking at investing into is a dedicated male's suicide prevention line, mm-hmm. which is very, very clearly evident. Um, if we look at the times of the calls that men are reaching out, it's normally at late at night. It's normally the emails that we're receiving, you know, asking about prostate cancer. So it's genuine when men on, are away from the families and uh. they, they, they want to do research, and that's when they're often reaching out. And we've also found that men feel a lot more comfortable speaking to other men right. rather than, of course. than than to, to the fairer sex, you know, uh. it's particularly about, about mental health issues, you know, and and... That whole isolation, the sense of isolation is part of the reason why men are suffering in silence today. So, so anyone listening, if they want to, first of all, make contact at the Men's Foundation. Well, reach out to us on Movember.com. Okay, so Movember.com. Yeah. Okay. So all of our details are in there. Uh, look us up on Movember South Africa on the Facebook page. Um, head on over there. We're obviously into the downward, downward end of the, of the month and, uh, you know, donations are still coming in. Uh, we launched our Project Peacock video yesterday that you'll be able to see on, uh, on YouTube, which talks about, you know, a new form of treatment that we've got access to within oh, the wow. state. Oh, brilliant. Uh, um, which is brachiotherapy. So, uh, you know, we've got some survivors that have come through there to, to share their story on that video as well. So it's a place to go. That's where it's at. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Really, Garen, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Happy, sh- you happy shaving. I hope you're going to have this whole... Oh, I'm looking to clean up a lip. I'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing you that way. Lovely to meet you. As you say, face-to-face, Garen Giselle, lovely, lovely having you on the show. We're going to take a quick break. And after the break, we're talking about something really exciting happening here in Joburg this Sunday. Well, just as we thought that we were going to go to ads, a, a bigger power, a larger power said, no, not yet. So we'll move on to our next guest. Howard, welcome back. It, it, it feels like just yesterday that you were in the studio. Oh, no, no, just a couple of sleeps. Just a couple of sleeps. So how was the race? Not we're talking time. about the Discovery 947 Joburg cycle. Yes, correct, correct. Was no, it good? Fantastic. But it you haven't had enough. No, it's never enough. Never enough. Once you ride a bike, you're always on your bike. 
So, when the last time you were in the studio, we spoke about how many years ago was it that you were diagnosed? So it's now six years. Six years. Uh, the anniversary is coming up. That's why it's a Sunday. Okay. The anniversary it's, is going to be six years this Sunday. So it's interesting you talk about being there, not the first of December, the thirty-first of November. Yeah. Explain that. <clears throat> so. Um, I call it 31st of November because it was the day I woke up in the morning and I couldn't move. And uh, it was like my body was stuck and I felt like my life was stuck. And mm. I couldn't leave November until I got myself going again. Mm. So for me, it stayed 31 November. Actually, I stayed 31 November until I reached my first goal, which was to ride 94.7 again. And uh, so then we could move on with life. You're incredible. Six yeah. years ago, Julaine Barre. What's how do you pronounce it? Barre syndrome. Julaine uh, Barre syndrome. Julaine Barre syndrome. Okay. Yeah. Does it have any impact on you today? Um, yeah, I still have a little bit, re- uh, a few remnants left over. Like what? I think the it's a it's a it's quite a drawn out, slow recovery process. Okay. So for me, uh, I can do everything I need to in a day. It doesn't actually impact my day to day activities, mm-hmm. but, uh, I still have many muscles in my body that are very weak. So you learn to live around it. Adapt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I can but, but I was about to say, it certainly mm. does not get in the way because as you said, the anniversary six yeah. years ago, coming up this Sunday and you're marking it how? So look, what happened is I managed to ride the 94.7 cycle challenge. It was all I thought about for, for, for two odd years. And it came and went. And then I thought, you know, there's got to be more than that. I can't, you know, like I still wasn't fully recovered. And I thought there's only one way. And that is to look for the next challenge. And, uh, so as, as, uh, as, each year has gone on. Uh, I've looked to raise the bar and raise the bar and raise the bar to 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 try and and, and get and, and and find bigger challenges. And last year, um, it was my fifth year, and I decided to ride these five two hundred kilometer rides, of which ninety four point seven was one of them. Oh, and uh, and uh, is all I can say. But carry uh, on. <laughs> and the last one being a ride with all my mates. And, the Capri uh, Wheelers. The Capri Wheelers. That's and your group. So that's our cycling club. And I asked, I asked around in the club if, every, if, if there would be anyone interested in riding with me on my last ride. And it actually turned out to be the most incredible day. In fact, the club decided to make it the official ride for that day, for that week. And... Uh, we 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 were joined by many other clubs and private you know uh, or social cycling groups from around Joburg and it was a it's just an awesome celebration and so this year um i actually haven't moved the bar anywhere uh took a year off that so we'll have to make up for it next year <laughs> you're doing just fine you know, actually maybe we'll worry on number 10 <laughs> but um uh we decided at a very last minute thing to make this into more of an annual, more of an annual ride, but not necessarily my ride anymore. This is now from from going f- from from going forward. We're calling it a celebration of life ride. Celebration, love. Opening, day. we're opening this ride up to 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 anybody. Well, doesn't even have to be from Joburg. Come right up to Joburg, um, but anybody who would like to to. Uh, to join us The idea behind this celebration Was to, to, to raise money For two amazing institutions And the first one being Dear Link and also for the CSO That uh, we, we love riding our bikes It's the best thing ever So it is a challenge to ride 100. We're doing 150 kilometers this year 
It'll be three loops of 50. Hmm. And people are welcome to, to, to ride one, two, or three loops of 50 kilometers. Mm-hmm. All we ask is please buy a raffle ticket per loop. How do people buy a raffle ticket? Um, I'll have to give you the bank details for Capri Wheelers. Uh, alternatively, they're welcome to bring cash on the morning. And um, they'll be entered into the into the draw. And can they contact the DR link as well yes, directly can to get DR link information for the bank details? Okay, um, amazing. So that's the Sunday. The Sunday. It's a bit last minute, so it's really knackered to that you fitted us into. Oh, but that's great, Howard. This. That's absolutely fantastic. So I think let's say that let's direct people towards the, to to DR link, and they can ask about the celebrate life race that's happening on on Sunday. That, Absolutely. Fantastic. Howard, all the best. You are amazing. Thank you. Lovely having you on the show. Howard Tucker, um, our DL Link angel. So contact uh, DL Link directly if you want more information on that. Um, It's just, yeah, the time has flown. It's come to the end of the show. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. From me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, do take care. Goodbye.